what do you want out of it because if you just rush into building an MVP as well doesn't matter for what kind of product but you don't have outline what do you are, are you expecting as a result of, of doing that then you're also gonna be maybe pulling into a wrong direction Hi everyone, my name is Mark Hooley and I am one of the founders of CollabMaker. Welcome to our new podcast, where you will hear from experts and change makers who have already decided they wanted to use their skills and experiences to help make the world a better place by using business as a force for good. Our goal with the podcast is to provide you with lots of useful information and practical advice from real people who are already making positive difference for people and the planet. Hi everyone and welcome to the Collab Maker podcast. Many people believe you need a certain level of technical expertise or a developer to create an app, a platform or a digital purpose-driven business. But thankfully today, there are so many tools and existing solutions in the world that mean it's possible to build something yourself and test it without needing that development expertise at the beginning. Indeed, two of my guests today talk about the advantages they have seen in their own businesses by using quick, easy and inexpensive tools to help show the need for their idea rather than use developers from the start. So joining me today is Barry from Happy Porch, Elena from Fuel Vision and Noalia from Goodfind. Welcome Barry, Elena and Noalia. Can you each give the listeners a brief background to your businesses? Thanks, Mark. My name's Barry. I founded a company called Happy Porch in 2015. We do web application and product development and support with a particular focus on climate tech and the circular economy. And Elena? Hi. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm the co-founder of Fuel Vision, and we help airlines to reduce uh, emissions by helping pilots to make much better decision-making before and after flights. And no, Alia? Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. I'm Noelia Rambo. I'm the founder and CEO of Goodfind, uh, which is a tech platform that aggregates sustainable brands uh, to make it easy to for consumers to find and compare ethical alternatives to everything. Thank you, all three of you, for the introductions. Three really interesting and quite different organizations. Um, we'll be having a separate podcast about idea development. Um, but Barry, can you give a listeners a very brief overview of the stages of idea development or building a new business and when you see development often being used and what consequences of that are? That's a great question and quite a big one. (laughs) I think people, starting from the very beginning, I think people um, get obsessed with what uh, you know, with an idea, I need an idea, I need to have a perfect idea in my head, I need to know exactly what I'm doing, and all of those kinds of things. Whereas, particularly when we're focusing, in my opinion, on business that is um, that has got a purpose beyond, uh, or in addition to profit, so the three, the triple bottom lines, and purpose-driven businesses, and so on, I think it's even more important than in a normal startup to be co-creating whatever your idea is, <laughs> 
with the people or the outcomes uh, or, or the recipients um, or the clients or the customers or whatever of the of the area that you're trying to impact or trying to get develop and improve your idea on. So my point there is I think with idea development, it's a journey. It's not a case of in my head, I come up with an idea and a business and then I go out and make it work. It's definitely not what happens. And that is even more true when there's software or digital product development involved in that because you need to be able to adapt and grow and flex and try different things and maybe even go off and attack what, what turns out to be a tangent and then have to come back and, and re, back to your core and rethink again. So my point of all saying that is I don't think there is a, there are several frameworks and ideas and processes and plenty of places to learn. But the core thing is that there is no one clear cut, this is what we must do path. It's more about trying to make sure that you have a clear idea about the impact that you would like to have or the direction you would like to go and then moving in a very zigzaggy direction and working with people to try and get there. So it's the need to be open-minded and not be fixated on what you're going to do or even how you're going to do it, but rather the impact you want to create. The key thing is working with your potential clients or the people you want to help to develop something that is going to fulfill their needs the best. Yeah, there's a real paradox here as well, though, because in amongst that, any entrepreneur, any business <laughs> takes unbelievable energy and drive to push through challenges, challenges all the way from very personal, emotional, this is a hard journey, um, through to, oh, that thing didn't work. I now need to try and work out how to solve this problem and all of that thing. There's a difference between that sort of needing that, okay, I need to be able to adapt and learn, but at the same time, not having the support network around you and the strength and confidence to say, I'm going to keep pushing through the tough periods. I just want to highlight how important that sense of community is. And it's something I would recommend for everyone. When we've met other people and startups who are going through similar things to us, we've had so many really good little interactions that have sparked ideas and we've started relationships with those people and they then become part of our network. Elena and Noalia, can you further elaborate on the approach Barry talked about by explaining what stage you use developers and why and what this has meant for your business? So Goodfine actually has never had a development stage per se yet. We have been just, you know, just like Barry was saying, I think it all starts with the impact you want to make and then and then the next thing is obviously an idea that you you have to have an idea or, or how you want to tackle that problem but i think in our case we always treated the idea as a hypothesis so you kind of say i think i can generate this change or this impact by doing this and before you go and build something big around that hypothesis you just go and test it like you would do with anything else so yeah we have had a few phases in which we try different things especially on the side of how to re generate revenue and what it has meant is that we never really spend any money on developing something because we have built it with the minimum kind of requirements 
to fulfill the service or fulfill that journey that we wanted to take either customers or clients or visitors or you name it through and then proving whether that actually was going to work or not with the minimum requirements. So, of course, we have built product, but we have never kind of hired developers for it. It has always been very nimble and in a very kind of agile approach in which we kind of took, you know, small steps uh, on top of each other and took a lot of uh, ready-made kind of off-the-shelf uh, um, solutions, put them together, somehow kind of tie them together and, and as I said, like build just that minimum product to, to, to prove whether our hypothesis has been right or wrong. Um, so, so far, not, not quite a, a full-on development, but just a constant kind of adding, adding to, to the core product. How did you decide you're proving your hypothesis? Was it paying customers or was it something else? Yes, I think in 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 a lot of cases the hypothesis was proven by getting traction, right? By getting one or more ideally uh, clients to pay for the services or customers to buy the product, etc. There is also kind of different ways uh, depending on what your hypothesis initially is, right? But if your hypothesis is to prove that someone will buy a certain service or they will renew it for example uh, we recently launched a, a membership service where people can basically monthly pay a fee that gives them points to spend on sustainable products that we have curated and then we take care of kind of in the background of placing orders etc for the customers and for us the hypothesis where are people ready to pay for this service but also will they keep doing it month on month will they be happy to pay this amount of money, etc. So we have a few hypotheses there that we're trying to prove yet. But in kind of the first stage, are, are people ready to pay for this? Okay, we have proven that there is a, a group of people that have paid for it. So that, that kind of gives a good indicator. Then we're now following the second hypothesis. Are people going to renew after a month? And then we'll move forward in, in that order. So I think, yeah, you're right. Most of the, t the time, it does mean a paying customer. But sometimes also it was uh, around just visitors and, and like just getting people to see what you're doing, putting it out there and seeing whether people visited, interacted with the website, subscribed to our newsletters. So there are so many like different goals that you can you can set up as well to, to measure your own success, I think, beyond money. So you base your next decisions on the information you have got so far, which when I think about it is a bit like marketing and the best way of predicting future behavior is by looking how consumers have previously behaved. Elena, I'll be really interested in how your company has used development, especially as you haven't launched yet. Yeah, so uh, what we are building is an app that enables pilots to make more tactical operational decisions, right? And those decisions reduce fuel consumption significantly, which then they'll reduce emissions. The good thing about our product or our solution is that the founders, we are both pilots. So we already came with a bit of a head start in the terms of the assumptions that we had and our expectations from the product. So you could say that that was a reason for us to be able to accelerate the process. Then uh, when we started with our first client, we did a lot of manual work from data analysis to 
reports much more like a consultancy solution at the beginning. And we learned a lot from there. And we also even created new assumptions. So you could say that our first development could be all that without being a digital product other than the website, of course. And then is when we decided to create a, an MVP, a minimal viable product. So we use a no-code tool to, to develop an app that we can then launch within the pilots and start testing uh, some of our assumptions. And when we realized that that product uh, was not enough to provide value, then is when we started the development phase. But we already learned quite a lot on the way. So it was very, very beneficial for us. So a no-code tool is basically a tool that enables people to develop an app or similar without any coding skills. We'll include some details in the footnotes of no-code tools so you can look at them in more detail. I really like the fact you used your great base level of knowledge from your job and your insights together with what sounds like a relatively simple tool to develop a better initial product without any development. It also strikes me it's a really good way of getting ahead of potential competitors because you're gaining such good insights and invaluable information from your customers or potential customers. Barry and Elena, can you talk through the different development options for people, especially for those without a technical background, including the no-code tools? Thanks, Mark. I think the the stories there that Noelle and, and Elena were just sharing, I think, are perfect examples of the what I would of examples of the of the correct <laughs> approach, and really, really intelligent and really smart, and and not necessarily easy approach. So uh, th I'm getting this is long winded answer to your to to your what are the options for no code tools, but starting literally from almost the as as Elena was saying, almost the the not digital version, it is absolutely completely viable to go with a um, piece of paper or a spreadsheet or something um, to try and to do that your first little test of your of your first hypothesis there is uh, i was speaking to a lady yesterday who runs a food foodwise in in madagascar and they are several years into their product before or into their service before they're looking at okay now let's try and build a automate it you know and scale it on all of those kinds of terminology but they have been literally working with you know, two and a half million meals, you know, of excess food delivered. So that and the story uh, that Elena was sharing and the way that Noelia has successfully built Good Finds, to me, is the is the key principle. And I say that is, is really important because I want that to be, I think that's, it's that principle which is important. The tooling is almost incidental. And and sometimes we get, particularly if, if, if we don't have a background in development or software or in some aspect of it, like the terminology can be a bit scary. So even a, a a phrase like no code is might be I don't know what that means for some people but it's not scary it's those tools that allow you to take those first little steps and they may not even be that little steps to to trying to sit work out, okay I need to get something together in order to see if my idea is moving in the right direction to learn to, to take those learnings back and then to do it again and you might those back and forth learnings might be happening you know, daily, or it might take months or, or depending on the product, but the principle is important there. <laughs> so that was a bit of a preamble before answering your question, but I would co cover them in literally and in, in, in going from the, can, what can I do with 
a spreadsheet with a conversation with the kind of tools that I just have to to say, well, can I manually have to, you know, with a manual process to validate the first idea? That's where I would always start. And then, and this is, uh, people sometimes find it interesting that I say this because my business, we do, you know, we, we do development, we do, we solve interesting, complex problems by writing code. But I think very often, we're not the first place to start. So the no-code tools that Elena was touching on, there's incredibly powerful tools out there to build mobile apps, to build websites, and we can point at some examples, I'm sure. But And then the real power can be to combine those things together. So for example, using the Zapier type things, which is a, an online, uh, which allows you to send, to basically communicate between multiple different apps and, th- and sort of streamline uh, have messages and communication happening between different apps and and noelia's uh, with, with the website tools that you use you know they they count as no code you know if you're building a wordpress website or a or a squarespace website those count as the kind of tools so i, I realize that answer it doesn't really give clear categorization or the question to your question mark but i think really the key point i was trying to make there is that there are a huge number of tools and don't get obsessed with the tools you can jump between them and, and test them out and the same hypothesis let's see if this will help me solve my problem i think that's a really great comment because it's so easy to start using a tool and to want to master it. But as you say, that's not the purpose. The key point is the principle behind it. And when you've tested that in a very manual way, with very simple tools, then you can test a hypothesis. Noelia and Elena, I'd be really interested in hearing how you've used this approach to test a hypothesis or build a minimal viable product. So... We build an MVP using this non-code tool that allows you to connect Google Sheets with a mobile cross-platform interface. So because we had been working for months with those Google Sheets, analyzing the data and making reports with it, it was just a perfect fit for us at that stage. So we could link the data with, with the interface and showcase that experience for the users then that was that was basically it it didn't have much functionality other than showcasing that uh, statistics that we wanted for the users to make better decisions before the flight and stuff the other very good thing is that we were able to share it either with a link or QR code or an invite and it was password protected so we didn't have to build any of that and the data was protected that way this allowed us to showcase to the clients the value that we could provide and also test how responsive it was for the users and uh, their engagement with it and if there was a different way for them to get the same value in by the presentation or by just the journey if it was smarter to do it in a different way so getting that feedback it was great towards building the end product because we didn't have to spend any resources it was of course limited in certain aspects you could not you didn't have a lot of freedom with the design most of it and the user experience in some sense you were quite restrained but for an mvp i thought it was great and the the best part is that we were able to build it in a weekend so it was very fast so then we launched it and we got that feedback and uh, we started making better assumptions for the end product so that was very good and uh, then you could showcase also your clients how much value you could provide from the uh, very first moment of the launch as barry said everything earlier nothing is really straightforward right so we had a few issues of course and it was an intense weekend but if you think about it, we realize we are users ourselves. And we were very sure that we knew what we wanted. 
and how to make it. And on the long way of starting doing our work first and then the MVP and then designing version one, it doesn't look like anything like we have started. Personally, I realized that I was very, since we started working, I was very eager to jump into the actual work. So even when we were doing the uh, data analysis, I will just jump in to do a dashboard or something, right? And then I will waste so much time because I didn't know what I wanted and I didn't know how I wanted it. And then a very wise person told me, just take a second, take a paper, draw it, and then you will figure it out what you actually want and how you, you will make it. And uh, I think that's the, the whole goal of the MVP, to, to get that train of thought going and decide what you want. What challenges did you have to overcome? So I think I'll start answering your question by um, just trying to make a link as well on like from a non-product, not technical development background, what I probably could suggest people to start by doing, even the very basic tools that Elena and myself have used, I think require at least some literacy on product. Like you probably were at some point in your career in touch with some development teams or some tools, etc. There are people that don't have this background at all. If anyone with a good idea felt like what we're talking about is miles away, I would recommend before going and finding a developer, just go and ask people, like, I have this idea, how would you build it? Like anyone, like go ask your friends. Go ask, because chances are that if some friend of mine that were completely in a different industry and never had a lot of like kind of opportunities to be in touch with um, how things can be built from a very simple perspective in a, into a more technical thing, I think they would not have that same background. But if they came to me and asked me, how would you do this? I'll be like, oh, yeah, why don't you use this type of forms and connect it to this thing, which is the most minimal thing. And, and it's, I'm not a developer, but I'm happy to kind of, you know, say how I would build it. And I think that would be a very great uh, kind of starting point for someone that literally have no experience whatsoever. Um, in my case, it's like, I think I started by thinking, okay, I, I have got all of these brands I know that do good things for the world they are social impact environmentally impactful brands they do good they you know i want more people in my friends and family at some at that point to know about these brands what do i do with them and it was very obvious that i could also use like a a, a note code or local uh, code um, tool for it so similar to elena's perspective it was like okay i'm just going to use something that i can build myself and i don't know any code so let me use something that is available without no code out there so i knew about squarespace in my particular case and i went there and kind of built it in uh, in that platform that really helps people build blogs but my idea wasn't about a blog it was more about content right so i kind of tweaked that tool to look not like a blog and and got away with it into the 600 plus <laughs> um, brands listed. Um, if I'm honest, from there, it was just about understanding how to optimize certain processes. So one of the processes, for example, I had very clear was that I wanted brands to provide their own content, right? So, okay, how do I do that? 
I'm going to create a form that brands can just populate themselves. Then I want that form to populate some sort of database. So let me connect that form to a Google spreadsheet, very similar to what Elena was was saying probably. And then from the spreadsheet, how do I get that data into my platform? So a lot of different things connect between each other. When they don't talk to each other, then this Sapir, which I think Barry just mentioned before, which helps you connect and kind of make tools talk between them. And it's great. And you don't need to know much. They're really, really built for people that are non-technical. Yeah. And then you kind of discover step by step what's the next thing you need to kind of either streamline or create new processes to to make your idea kind of come to life and, and be possible. So, yeah, I think my platform still probably for too long, has been the result of a lot of different things kind of connected together in in that way. What really strikes me hearing both of you is the huge number of insights you have by using this approach and how you can then build little iterations based on your insights. Ultimately, what you're doing is creating solutions to real problems experienced by people and businesses too. And you're using all your knowledge to continuously build upon them. Yeah, just to add on that, and it's a bit linked to what Barry was saying earlier, I think the most critical part and where people jump into other than draw something in a paper so you can structure your thoughts is to find the outcome. What do you want out of it? Because if you just rush into building an MVP as well, doesn't matter for what kind of product, but you don't have outline, what do you are, are you expecting as a result of, of doing that? Then you're also going to be maybe pulling into a wrong direction. So for me, it really helped me uh, doing that. And then after we launched the MVP and we tested it, we realized that uh, we wanted to go back and change this and this because it will really increase the value even from the MVP. But then we had to stop ourselves and say, okay, but that's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is take all these learnings and create an amazing version one, not create like five different MVPs because then you're just dragging yourself into the process and not moving forward really. So to avoid drifting all over the place, which is very easy to do, it's essential to have that clear purpose, that clear focus, and then base everything on what you've learned. So it seems quite clear now that listeners should test a hypothesis, understand the outcomes they expect, know the impact they want to create, and then test and iterate. Is there actually a right stage to do development or does it depend on all the manual things you've done? Um, Unfortunately, the answer to that question is yes to both. (laughs) There's a right stage, but it depends. (laughs) And it depends on two things. One is starting development isn't a binary sort of thing. You know, I'm moving from I'm doing a no code or low code or, or sort of MVP or proving my concept and still working things out. There isn't a magic switch binary. Okay, now I'm going to go and, you know, uh, suddenly have lots of money and resources to spend on, you know, a huge development team. Um, it's a much more gradual process than that. And 
similar to uh, I think the whole journey with any business, but particularly with this type of, of of entrepreneurial work, is there isn't a straight line. There's no sort of path. You know, it is a zigzag and a difficult process, and that uh, constant learning. So my point there is there will to, to answer try and answer your question specifically. There does come a point at which the tooling you're using will start the limitations. Do you start, you kind of start to plateau. You kind of go, okay, I want, I have enough information or I'm starting to build enough confidence in my understanding and my hypothesis and we're getting tra- some form of traction, however you measure that ideally in paying users and in the measurable impact that you're trying to produce. Where you start to go, okay, well, at, at some point my technology is slowing me down rather than speeding me up and that's not a magical switch you know it's a kind of like a you know cycling up a hill you know the hill starts to get steeper and it start you know it's, and it, so at some point you go okay this is too steep i need to get a different bike sorry that's my cycling analogy <laughs> so and it's okay to go well we're not going to just flick the switch and go okay we're going to jump from one to the other but to do the same kind of thing okay well let's to what noelia was saying before speaking to people and saying okay with, with networks and communities, how can let's find the people that can maybe or the or the school, skill sets that maybe go okay. Well, just a little bit of extra work, or let's move part of this thing and connect it with Zapier or something else to a different tool. You know, there's kind of multiple different options to sort of gradually move up that ladder to okay, we've reached the point which may never happen <laughs> because you might never need it. Where you go, okay, well, we're we're now at the position where actually, you know what, we need um, to be writing our own versions, our own specific code to solve this. Problem. I couldn't agree more with what Barry said and, and Elena too. I think it's so important that uh, to know that each path is different and sometimes it is a, a short MVP give you all the data you need um, to launch something and then whether you have the resources or not to launch it at that point is, is another element. I think also very importantly that um, knowing your objective and knowing what you want out of it that Elena was talking about is so important. But in my particular experience, that changed over time as well. So I had to, after after do, after launching an MVP and learning from that MVP, I actually changed my objective. And that obviously extended my period of life on an MVP because now I'm learning from my users what that objective should be like. And basically the, the, the signpost kind of has moved uh, from where I thought it was to a new place. And, and I think currently I am in that phase of understanding what exactly is that new point so I can plan the next stage. And I, I suppose, and I guess, uh, that will keep happening if you keep listening to your customers because trends change and users experience changes and technology upgrades etc so yeah i just wanted to add that like that objective also can change and it's i think in my case in particular experience it has been okay changing plans and 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 just taking the time to to think what's the next step has been very useful in in my experience and and that's why it has been a long journey on an on a product that is not still even version one, really. It's, it's still kind of MVP, but I have been happy to take that time to, to discover that path, you know, aided by customers and users. It sounds like a key point there is because you've been aided by insights from users and customers, you don't have that technical debt 
that a lot of startups have. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I hope that is the case, and and I hope that it pays back at some point, and at some point there is enough clarity to actually invest in something. Because on the other side, there is the risk to always stay in that limbo, right? I think. Um, in, in my position as a founder and, and CEO, I think there is a time in which I need to invest. And then it, I might be proved right or wrong, but hopefully right, because I have had enough time to, to test it and to understand it. Uh, but yeah, it, there should be a, a time out of, of, of that stage as well. Uh, but hopefully it will, it will be with enough information to move forward in the right, in the right direction. Yeah, I also wanted to say that I agree 100% with Noelia. Your objectives should change, I would dare to say. Otherwise, you're not really taking the feedback because it's not possible that all your assumptions were 100% bang on, right? But what I meant with that is that we made the MVP with two very broad objectives. One was to test with users, see if we were actually into something and providing value with it. And the other one was to showcase our customers that this is something that it would really add a lot of impact in their operation. So that's what I meant that if you then just go back and sorry, and the third objective was to build a better version one. But then if you keep going back to just redo your MVP, when we had a very clear limitation in ours, we needed that, we needed the development, we couldn't drag it forever, because we were very limited. In, in terms of features, because it's quite of like a complex architecture behind and it could not just be continued with Excel sheets, right? So it was easy for us to be able to stick to these three points that we defined at the beginning so we could not go back and redo the whole thing again. I just want to reinforce one of the points you just made, and that is things are going to change from your feedback. If your feedback is proving all your assumptions correct, then you're probably not testing the right things because no one knows everything about their customers or potential customers all the time. So it's the way you test and the way you iterate and it's really important that you make changes based on the information you find about your customers and users. And what's quite clear as well uh, to me, is that you're using development how you should, which is one of the reasons we got you on the podcast. I think this links quite nicely to a question I, ha I had for Barry, and that is, where do you see most startups fail in terms of development? And what are the consequences of this? Yeah, I think you're right. It does link very much to what um, Alina and Noelia were just saying, that it's almost like a, it can look like a kind of a tightrope. I don't want to overinvest in development, but I also don't want to get stuck with uh, in a position where I'm not moving fast enough or not going, not reaching for the goals. You know, not reaching for the for the more the larger goals that I would like to get. So, and to answer your question, I think it can fail both ways or always. But also, I rarely have seen a 
somebody who's approaching this in a sort of I am open to learning, I have a, I have a clear direction of, 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 of impact I would like to have, and I'm able to keep coming to that, but I have this op- I'm open to learning and adapting the plan as I go, but still moving in the same same direction in terms of the impacts I'm looking at. So for example, pretty it does happen, but it's pretty rare, and it's usually, to be honest, coders <laughs> who make this mistake where they go, you know, I, I know how to build a thing. I'm going to go away and build the thing. And then in 12 months or 18 months, I'm going to come back and da-da. And of course, there is no da-da because, you know, they, they, they've basically learned about as much as Elena did over her weekend with the no-code tool. So that's one extreme example of going in that direction. The other biggest challenge is it's almost more insidious in that it's the, oh, I didn't start in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> or I, or you know, I've got. I would like to. It's difficult for me to try and really because it's not like there's one specific thing. But by that, I mean, you know, not doing anything. The sort of analysis paralysis or jumping too is one extreme, uh, or jumping too far into the development is is the other extreme. I don't think there is. A, let me step back. There's one thing that you have to accept will happen, and that that you will make mistakes, and that those are should be those are learning opportunities. If you develop something, you might have to go, you know what, I have to throw 70 or 80% of this away because my plan, I've learned something and we're going to do it again in a slightly different way over here. And that holds true for your no code over a weekend or your several months of, of labor of love or your several large numbers of cost of paying a development team. It's true in all cases. It just depends on the time scale. And so I think the most important thing, it's really, I'm struggling to answer your question in terms of pointing at examples of failures because I feel like the answer for all of the f- failure scenarios is learn and adapt. It's not a tightrope where there's a straight line, you've got to stay on balance all the way. It's a zigzaggy path through the woods and you just follow your own path. I think that's a great answer. And I think it links really well with what you and Elena were saying earlier. In terms of spending a weekend or a series of weekends developing something very simple, testing it, iterating it, improving it, then what you're actually creating is based on needs rather than what you think is going to be right or what you think is needed or building something just for the sake of building something. Yes, it is, I think. (laughs) I love a good analogy. I love analogies even when they're not good. But so I think software too often is seen as like you're making a physical product, whereas the analogy I prefer is it's a garden. So it's something that should be constantly changing and adapting based on all the conditions you're in and everything you're learning. And so you, and you need to be constantly tending it and changing it. And if you're trying to build a little shared garden with a vegetable plot for you and your family, that's very different if you're trying to build a botanic gardens for the city. But the principles are still the same. You're trying to grow something in a in an iterative, in a grad, in a in an ongoing, constant maintenance kind of mode, rather than I'm painting a picture and hanging it on the wall and it's done. I love that analogy and keeping that thought in your heads, Noelia and Elena. What are the biggest things you've learned in this area? In my case, what I really learned is how difficult prioritization is and how sometimes, for example, with building the MVP, connecting a bit uh, back to the Paris analogy, it's not until you sit down and you really start building something that you realize about how that actually works or it does not work as you thought it would be. 
and you really have to go into details, right? That sometimes on the design phase, we oversimplify those. We don't really think of every single detail until you start building it. And then you realize, okay, actually, this cannot be done like that because it doesn't work or it's not what I was expecting to. I think that's the very nice part, like that you first plan how you're going to build it. And then when you build it, you realize what it works and what it doesn't work. And then you launch that MVP and then you test it. So it's mostly, it's, it's almost like you test it twice, first with yourself and then with someone else. So that was one thing. And then, yeah, as I was saying at the beginning, the prioritization is so important. And sometimes you start developing or designing different features that they get very advanced or whatever your product is. And you get into a point that you don't remember why are you there. You don't remember what led you to design that. So it's very easy to stop and ask yourself why and almost reverse engineer the whole process. So you can see if you are still on the same track as you were trying to whatever problem you were trying to solve. And it's very nice to also differentiate between nice to have and must have the whole why, why. That's one, I think, one of the biggest learnings I had. Yeah, I love that answer, Violin, actually. I think I have a similar answer, maybe from a slightly different perspective. We have been talking a lot about what customers want and what customers kind of uh, give you for feedback. Um, but I also do find quite a lot of, I suppose, mainly on my platform because it's um, very wide, my target audience is basically all consumers. <laughs> so obviously it's, um, it's difficult to kind of pinpoint, but um, there are a lot of opportunities in which I get this kind of people are trying to feed good fine into a category that they already know. And going back to what Elena was saying about that your purpose, your your kind of core, why you're doing this, one of my main kind of, um, the, the problem I'm trying to solve is that consuming ethically is not easy. Consuming ethically takes too much time. And it's sometimes there is not enough trust between the, the consumers and the brands that are trying to, to be more sustainable because basically consumers don't know enough. So, um, and there isn't enough ability to compare, for example. So based on all of that, my idea and the innovation I want to build is not a shop. The amount of times that I get people expecting good find to be a shop and whether it's going to be a marketplace and when is it going to be a marketplace and so obviously it's not to ignore it but i think going back to that point of your why also also you know give it a go like it's a it's important for you to understand why you're doing it that way so you can defend it and and pursue it basically because I still believe there's a big problem and it's solving. And and if I was going to just listen to where people want to fit me, I would end up with a business with a business that wouldn't make me happy and with, with a business that wouldn't be solving the problem that I set up to solve in the first place. So yeah, I would encourage everyone to kind of follow their, their why uh, all the way through, unless it's super bad <laughs> which is you know an, another another story um yeah i suppose my my other learning throughout this has been planning for funding and doing it very 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 um intentionally i suppose um funds are the race the, the, you know the the enabler of of all of everything you want to do so unfortunately you do have to follow 
that. So whether you are on an MVP, you are still finding out, you are pivoting, you are trying to just make sure that you know exactly where's your cash at, where are you going to get it next, when that's going to come in, what's going to enable you to do the next step. So what are you don't want to find yourself in the position that you have to go and kind of give up or stop or make it slower just because of lacks of funds. Any startup in the early stages are going to be, you know, wanting more and more funds and, and more support. And yeah, as long as you have it clear on your roadmap when the money is going to land and how much and, and how, then I think you're going to be safe on your path of, of building it. So those are my two key learnings, I suppose. Cost is obviously a massive factor for people developing their ideas and even for existing startups, especially in the early phase. Are there ways people and startups can collaborate together to save costs? Yeah, I had this experience where Barry was uh, trying to pilot something in which he provided kind of uh, interim CEO services or uh, tech mentorship services. And we were two different startups together having those sessions with him. That was a good example of collaborating in tech. I think we had different needs, but we both kind of fed from the solutions and the ideas that the other business had. So I think in terms of finding support, there are ways in which you can definitely collaborate. Beyond that, on, on the tech space, I'm not really sure I have more, more answers. I'm sure that having the relationships with different startups is important for ideas, for support, for just like camaraderie and and, you know, founder to founder kind of dynamics. But beyond that, I wouldn't know. Well, the most important one, Noelia, has already kind of covered on in terms of sharing knowledge and information. So the literal, this is going back to our no-code, low-code examples. This is my experience of using X tool, you know, or reaching out, you know, being uh, being able to ask those questions. To me, that's the most important one. There are other really fun and interesting examples. So um, there's something I'm seeing quite a lot is the platform stuff. So for example, in the sharing economy or, or in a medical environment where, I, to, where I've got personal experience, where there is platform that's attempting to provide like the infrastructure for the business so tentshare in the uk anybody should check out tentshare it's um basically um, airbnb for tents you rent out your tent to other people she is collaborating with or has explored with different platforms for the sort of dual place marketplace uh, type things but what's fun about those kind of opportunities is you can maybe work with the platform to say i don't need to invent create the technology completely, but maybe we can partner and get involved in making sure that the platform does what I need it to do. Tool Libraries is another great example of that. And um, uh, and there's a medical platform. There's that kind of example where it's more, rather than just sharing knowledge, which is really vital, it's also maybe we can collaborate on a sort of sector type um, thing where we can you know use platforms, but partner with them in a way to adapt them. And there's also geographically, so my last example is geographically as well, where sharing perhaps literally on a franchise model or is the extreme example, but literally sharing uh, the same solutions or the same ideas on a geographical basis. If I can just add something very quick for the previous answer as well. I find that the designed product design world is, uh, is quite generous. There is so many resources out there uh, so when you are designing an app or any other digital product, there are so many UI components that you can use or mockups for your presentations. I was very, very surprised about the amount of free stuff that people do and share. 
and uh, also to support Barry's comment about them um, sharing knowledge. There are so many startups right now that they they blog and they really break down their development process and they explain how they did it and the learnings out of it is very enriching for others. If you could leave us with one piece of advice for listeners today, what would it be? My one piece of advice would be, if you have a good idea, don't let it die <laughs> in, a, in a box or in a piece of paper. Try and build the minimum needed and, and see if it works. You don't need a lot of resources and you don't need a, a big tech development. You just need to test it out. Uh, yeah, in my opinion, I think that I was... I heard, heard a lot of times that this is a marathon and not a spring, but I did not expecting it to be such a roller coaster. So you really get a lot of highs and you see a lot of traction and then things feel like they stagnate and it's not really, it's just that you, you got a quiet week or something. So um, psychological, I think is very important to try to keep yourself into why are you doing this? What is next? What is next? And try not to jump too much ahead of you. So one thing by one by one or one step in front of each other and, and yeah, not get too frustrated about things in the development and yeah, to always count with delays. I think we always sometimes believe that, yeah, it's just going to work like that. Time late is going to work like that. And we always have to have a plan B and plan C. I think, I think those are brilliant answers. And uh, for me, it would be similar to what Noelia was saying, do it. There's so many vital things and problems that we need to solve and sort of purpose-led or impact-led businesses and entrepreneurs, we need you and we need we need people like Noelia and Alina to, to be out doing the hard, doing this kind of work. So do it. And then the second thing is don't do it alone. Networks and communities, partnerships, sharing. If you don't want to be the entrepreneur, but you want to work on these problems, join and become, you know, you don't want to be the solo entrepreneur, sorry, join with people, you know, so do it and don't do it alone. Thank you, all of you, for today. Thank you, Mark. Thanks a lot for having us. Thank you, Mark. Such a pleasure. Wow. I really hope you found the insights today as useful as me. I wish we knew all this when we'd started. What's the biggest takeaways for you from today's show? For me, it's about building something manually or with some very simple tools to gain great insights from potential customers and customers so you can then use those insights to build something better and quicker than just going on your own assumptions or what you think is right or will work. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed today's show, please do give it a rating and share with three other people who you think will benefit. We'll be developing some of these themes further on our next podcast, which is how you can develop an idea into a business. Until then, take care, stay safe and goodbye. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please do share on social media and with your family and friends. Please do subscribe to the podcast and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you.